Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Future Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Juliette Lamar, and joining us today is Neil Sweeney. He is the founder and CEO at Prickle IoT, and we've got a lot to talk about here. So welcome to the program, Neil. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. We're very interested in, in Prickle and all the things you've been up to. So why don't you give our audience a little snapshot about what Freckle is and what you've been doing. Sure. So Freckle is a uh, offline attribution solution or as a company that we founded uh, about three years uh, that specializes in offline attribution. And what that means is that it measures all various different advertising channels, whether that be uh, desktop and mobile advertising or social advertising, search advertising, really with this understanding of trying to do how effective it's been in driving people into a location. Um, we do that around the world. So we support the United States, Latin America, as well as Canada. Uh, and as I mentioned, is that we do it for all channels and we're a pure measurement solution. So about a year ago, we started working on a new uh, product, which was a product called Killy, K-I-L-L-I. And uh, really with the understanding that the world was increasingly moving towards um, a world of privacy and compliance. And we just didn't feel that in the world of data that there was really um, any tools in place for the con- for consumers. And so um, we built Killy, launched it about a month ago, um, and it's a consumer-facing application. It's actually the first um, consumer-facing application built on the blockchain to ever be carried in either the iTunes or uh, Google Earth. And what it allows you to do as a consumer is it allows you to obviously download the application, uh, opt in to share various different pieces of data, ranging from validated age to uh, location data. Um, and in doing so, um, should you choose to, the ability to then enter into a one-by-one contract with a brand or advertiser um, where your data is being um, sold to them and in return for that, um, they are paying you in cash. So one, one thing that might be uh, top of mind is that it's important to note is today's digital ecosystem, your data is already being the difference there is that you're not being paid for it. Really important because it's bringing the consumer equation as it pertains to their own data and allowing them to be compensated um, accordingly. Oh, that's fantastic. And you know, there's a couple other companies out there that are that are trying to do a similar thing. Um, you know, what really sets Frickle apart from from other companies? Well, the most obvious one, um, you know, there's different solutions that play around with identity. I think if you juxtapose it next to company, the other companies that are participating maybe in the blockchain, I think the one thing that we do is um, we do not issue a token, uh, nor do we issue, mm-hmm. uh, nor are we a company that is backed by an ICO. Um, my philosophy on that is, you know, your ability to actually scale a product um, with a token is minimal at best. Um, and so for us, what we've really tried to do is, is create a value proposition for the everyday consumer, um, not the 1% of 1% that understand uh, the nuances of token mechanics, how to bring that everyday consumer to the blockchain. So I would say probably the biggest difference for us is that we're very much focused on the consumer. We've tried to actually make that value proposition as, uh, as as simple as possible to bring a wide range of individuals from 18-year-old millennials to 45-year-old females um, to this individual product. 
That's great. That's, and I'm really interested in, in Kili because, you know, like you said, you're giving the power back to the users. So if, if users want to use this mobile app, you know, what are, what are the steps to getting involved with it? What do you need, et cetera? Sure. So it's available right now in both um, the United States. Uh, you can go to the uh, iTunes store or you can go to the Google Play store and just search for Kili uh, and download it. It's as simple as that. Um, everybody has a mobile phone. So, uh, you know, it's pretty ubiquitous in that regard. Um, to actually download the application, you'll be presented with a series of, of prompts. The first is really a narrative explaining what we're trying to solve. And, and the is that Corporations are making billions of dollars off of the use of personal data and that you as a consumer are not really benefiting from that. In addition to that, there's been numerous data due to security flaws and existing architecture. Um, and this is an application that will help try to solve these various different things. And then you're presented with a series of screens. The first one being uh, proving that your phone is actually real. So there's a, a six digit pin um, that is sent to you by SMS to valid handset. Um, then you have the ability to turn on or, or share location data. Um, then you have the ability to uh, gender. Um, how we validate that is through TUNIS. Uh, it needs to conform with your age and gender as it um, is illustrated on a social network like Facebook. Or if you'd rather not do that, um, we will get it through uh, barcode scanning, which you can do on the back of your driver's license. Um, and by opting in and sharing these various different pieces of data, you'll see through the various different prompts that there is a queue of brands that are waiting to purchase this test. So as an example, as soon as you share your mobile ID, and location, you will be you will you will receive your first transaction. Um, while that transaction is ten cents, you'll see it actually in your bank account, and then the ability to redeem it via PayPal, uh, Amazon gift card, or you have the ability to give it away to charity if you should if, should you choose to do so. And then once once that is all done, I think that there there's another opportunity where brands will ask you specific questions via a survey. Um, that's another way where as consumers should they decide they can make additional money. So every question that you answer. Um, so I know one of the questions that's in so far is, uh, where are you doing back to school shopping, uh, Walmart, etc. And as you answer that, um, you'll be paid for all your answers, uh, whether it's whether you're answering yes or no. So there's no incentive to answer one way or the other. Mm -hmm simplistically um, how it works. And every question, every time your data is actually used, you're, actually, um, you're paid. And I think one of the really things about the application is that if you go into the activity history of your application, you're, at, you're able to see a transaction by transaction record of every brand that's data. Um, again, we're the first company in the world to present a transaction by transaction record of how individuals being purchased by a specific brand. And we think that um, that's pretty. That's pretty important uh, in today's world, and even more so in the future world. No, absolutely, and and so for for brands, really, this the upside is that they get some information that you're giving willingly. Um, what else is really a helpful reason why brands would be interested in this or in companies? Well, I think that there's some larger forces here. You're, you you hit the nail on where you're buying data that has a full audit trail fitted to it. So this is about as high, uh, this is the fidelity data you're going to get because you are getting it directly from the or with that audit trail associated to it. So um, you would be hard pressed to find any more uh, valuable data than that. I think the other mm -hmm. really bigger issue is that there are a number of legislation, le a number of different policies that are coming to fruition. Um, the most obvious being the one that took place in Europe on May being GDPR, which is regulation that forces any company that is using data 
give an explicit opt-in from a consumer um, in addition to allowing a consumer the right to be forgotten, explaining to the consumer how their data is being used, et cetera. Well, in today's MarTech or marketing and advertising ecosystem, as well as really all other industries, no firm is really compliant in that regard. And so there are no tools in the marketplace to allow those companies that are dependent upon data to actually find this, compl this compliant data. Now, while some might say, well, that's the European rule, uh, most recently, about a month ago, California actually enacted um, its legislation, which is the Privacy Act, which comes into effect January 1st, 2020. And it is really, a, it is uh, almost a carbon copy of what's taking place um, in Europe. And so for a brand operating only exclusively in, in North America, or specifically in the United States, you no longer can say, oh, GDPR is a European issue. Um, you are on a 16-month countdown clock um, to actually get compliance. That's such a game changer, really. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think this is these are the tools that we're trying to build to really help um, the, the, the individual brands pivot to the new world. And we think that these are pretty big, this is a pretty big opportunity where the consumer can not only get control of their data, they have, they're now in, included in the conversation, but at the end result, you as a brand have more compliant data, but also higher fidelity data. We think that that's really very much a win for everybody. For sure. Give us a little bit of, um, of background about yourself. You know, how did you find yourself in this space and, and really become so passionate about it? Well, I... I mean, I, I guess I fall into the category of the serial entrepreneur. I don't think anybody kind of puts themselves in that category on purpose. I think it just sort of happens. Um, and I'm, I think if you're an entrepreneur, you're inherently pretty curious. Uh, and for, for me, it, it just became pretty clear, uh, you know, and really a number of years ago that the way in which data was being used and increasingly more so that at some point or another, we were going to run into this wall of privacy. It was not for me. It was really not a question of if; it was a question of when. So when you look at that, and then if you're curious and you start to dig down into you know the things that are going on in the market, I mean the example that I always use is that Facebook is the biggest company, but they publish in their quarterly earnings how much you are worth every quarter. Um, I always found that fascinating that they would do that, and they literally will break it down country by country. So in North America, you were worth about approximately about thirty dollars a month, and you were growing at an average rate of about thirty-five percent a year in value. And when you look at the overall numbers of a platform like Facebook, okay, well Facebook has two point two billion users in it. It does a hundred billion dollars in top-line revenue. It does forty billion dollars in revenue off of those two point two billion users. Um, the CEO and the executives there are just people in the world, but yet consumers that are actually powering that platform have most recently hit the highest level ever, which is $1.8 trillion in the United States. So we're talking about complete other ends of the spectrum here. Here you have everyday consumers drowning in debt, not the end. On the other end of the spectrum is you have companies making tons of money off of the harvesting of those exact same consumers' identity but yet the consumer doesn't get any of that and they continue to become even more indebted while those bigger platforms and those bigger companies continue to get bigger and bigger. I just sort of saw that as this is inevitably going to be a powder keg. It will eventually blow up. The only reason that it is, is that it's really not in anybody's best interest to talk about the value 
data that is really sort of driving um, these various different platforms. And so that's in combination with the various different um, security breaches, et cetera. We just, it just sort of took on a bit of a life of its own. And um, I think that's ultimately it manifested itself in the creation of this, of this new product. No, absolutely. And, and you were kind of answering my next question a little bit that, yeah, you know, with people are, are becoming more and more aware of how their data is being used. You know, people had an idea, but then with the, with the breaches and now it's really come to the, the top of our consciousness now, you know, are people going to start, I guess, demanding things such as, as Killy for saying, hey, you know, you can't just use my data to make money. And do you feel like things such as Facebook will eventually have to change their ways? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I think it's inevitable. I think that, um, in all honesty, the Cambridge Analytica story is probably the most mm-hmm. obvious one where I think that there's been a misconception that consumers don't care about privacy. There's also been uh, a, a bit of a misconception that access to these products requires you to give up the amount of data that you're giving up. Um, but I think it's a bait and switch. I don't think, I think people subscribe to the notion that, yes, you know, products are based upon data, but they have no understanding as to how much and how that data is being used. And so I think I've always subscribed to that belief. And I think that came. Like, uh, I don't think that there was, I don't think people are doing a bunch of things with them. Of course, there's inevitably there's bad actors um, in any industry. Um, but I think Analytica was a really good example of how um, when alerted to the actual, to how data was actually being used, it became pretty consumers weren't all that, weren't all that happy with it. Problem with that though, is that the response was, well, then you should delete Facebook. Not a realistic option because that's suggesting that in order to maintain your privacy, you can't go online. And this is sort of the fallacy of the space is that we talk about a data-driven world or an engineering-driven world, and we talk about things like et cetera, but yet we, we haven't find a compromise between the either-or proposition, which is what privacy is today. That's ridiculous. So yeah. I think the intention is, is that if, if you kind of dig into that and you start asking that question, well, why haven't we found that compromise? Well, I think the, the response is, is that in most cases, it's not beneficial for people to have to give back that data or to actually not collect as much data. So um, I think going forward is exactly that. Um, increasingly more so, there will be a heightened awareness around privacy. I think the government, not only in California or in Europe, I think you're going to see that in every state, every country, every province, uh, of really, I feel, thinks that they need to protect the consumer, some themselves. Um, and so by pushing this chin onto the industry and the various different, as a byproduct of that, it's almost showcasing how data is being used just due to the force of all the changes. I mean, I think when GDPR came into effect, I think things that everybody realized was that there was this massive flurry of re-opting into space. And people were finding that they were being asked to re-opt into databases as the idea that their actual information was in. So I think it just as the government continues to push towards that and the consumer becomes increasingly more aware, um, consumers will be demanding more control of their overall identity. And I think that the blockchain as a as a as a as a protocol is really the future of where that identity is going to be stored. It will be stored on the blockchain. It will be protected by it and it will be licensed accordingly by that individual. And your identity will not sit in a whole bunch of disparate uh, places um, in perpetuity. 
So I think that's where we think it's going. That's fantastic. So Neil, where people can find more information about about Freckle and also about Killy and, and potentially sign up, what's the best way to stay in contact with you guys? Yeah, for sure. So um, Freckle, you to uh, Freckle, you can go to freckleiot.com uh, uh, and read all about our products there. Um, for Killy, uh, you can go to killy.io and killy's I-L-L-I dot I-O. Um, and for, if you're interested in trying the Apple, um, just go to uh, either iTunes or, or Google Play and download it and, and play around with it. I think um, you'll be pleasantly surprised with not only what's in there today, but what's to come. So uh, hopefully everybody gives it a try. I think they will because it's such a great solution. Neil, thank you so much for joining us on Future Tech Podcast and for sharing your passion and insight about the, the really the future of, of advertising and our own personal data. You're very welcome. Thanks so much. That was Neil Sweeney. He's the founder and CEO at Freckle IoT. Their product is Killy. Check them out. It's fantastic. Again, the website is F-R-E-C-K-L-E-I-O-T.com. This has been Juliette Lamar for Future Tech Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. 